Welcome to the North Lakes Podcast. In this episode, I'll be speaking with chiropractor Claire Tomashik about her work doing dry needling. I didn't know anything about it prior to us speaking, so it was great to learn a lot in not a lot of time. Here we go. Hi, Claire. Thanks for being here. Yeah, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do here at North Lakes. Yeah, so I'm a chiropractor. I've been with, uh, with North Lakes for a year now. Uh, we... see people from all ages, all walks of life and help them get them feeling better and out into their... Out into the world. Yeah. Nice. Um, The reason we're talking today is that you do something in your practice called dry needling. I do, yeah. I don't know anything about it. So do you mind if we just start right from the top and tell me what is dry needling? So dry needling is another therapy modality that we can use to help any sort of musculoskeletal dysfunctions. Such as? Such as um, decreased range of motion. Uh, Maybe someone isn't utilizing a muscle. You know, we need to turn that muscle on. Um, Plantar fasciitis. Just general, we can treat general pain with it. If there's joint pain, if someone has knee pain or shoulder pain, um, you know, any anything really that involves muscles, the ligaments, tendons, the joints, we can we can pretty much attack that with with dry needling. And how how does it work? What is it? So it's. Similar to acupuncture, uh, we use the same needle. It's a thin filiform or solid needle. We're not, as in with dry needling, as with acupuncture, dry needling is not injecting anything into the skin or into the tissues. That's part of where the term dry needling comes from. So we don't need to worry about needing a big uh, hollow needle at all. It's a thin filiform so a syringe, a syringe would be wet needling. Yes, it oh, would. Okay, all it right. It would. Yep. So dry needling. We're not injecting anything into the tissues at all. So because it's a solid needle, it can be nice and small. Um, I'd like to think a little more pleasant than than wet needling. Um, I, did I just come up with that? Nah. Should I copyright that? <laughs> I don't know. If, okay. I think the term has been used. Today's but. date is June 27th. Yeah. It is 1.08 p.m. Go, sorry. Sorry <laughs> no, to interrupt. No, you are fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, similar to acupuncture and we use the same needles, there's actually quite a bit of crossover between the needle placement as well with acupuncture that's rooted in Chinese medicine, looking at meridians and opening up the flow of qi energy. Dry needling was developed under Western medicine as a way to treat musculoskeletal dysfunction. Um, So we tend to look for things like trigger points, uh, you know, general areas, uh, but there's actually been a lot of crossover found between areas that we would look at for trigger points, and that's where we would place the needle for dry needling, that there's a large correlation with the placement of acupuncture needles as well. Hmm. So the way it works is that someone has a tight muscle or something and you're able to take this needle, insert it in a certain way, and it helps to relax that muscle? Yeah. So 
Is that too, am I making it too simple? (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty simple. Um, And it can be that simple. It really depends on what the patient individually, uh, what's going on individually with each patient. So of course we're going to, we're going to, of course we are going to bring the patient in, do a detailed history, figure out what it is that's going on with them. Is it an issue where, yep, muscles are tight and we need them to relax? Is it that a muscle isn't being utilized, isn't turning on, so we need to activate that muscle? Um, are we just stimulating the healing process? So, how do, so you, how do you turn a muscle back on? So, <laughs> <laughs> so let me think about how I want to answer it. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I, I mean, that just sounds pretty like I didn't like a, if a muscle. Well, how does a muscle work? Does it fire? I mean, mm-hmm. it like, so it's not firing. Is that another way to put it? Yeah. Or? And so we're making that connection, that neurological connection. Um, so a lot of people. So everyone. Ha- let's talk about glutes. Sure, sure. Yeah, bit. yeah. So everyone has glutes, uh, but not everyone utilizes those glutes or not everyone activates their glutes. Actually, a lot of people do not know how to activate their glutes. Um, So that's a pretty common muscle that we would look at being able to turn on or activate. Um, And it all depends on how long we have the needles in those muscles or if we do any sort of manipulation of the needles and activation of a muscle turns into fatigue of a muscle. So generally we would have the needles inserted for a shorter amount of time to activate a muscle. And then we would increase that treatment time if we were looking to fatigue a muscle. A lot of people have overactive quadriceps um, and that's a pretty common lower cross syndrome, weak glutes that aren't turning on, quads that are tight and are overactive. So that's Two great examples of one muscle group that we would look at activating using dry needling to activate, and then a different muscle group being the quads that we would look to fatigue those muscles and allow some of that workload then to be distributed to to some of the other muscles that should be working more. What do you mean to fatigue it? What does that mean? So essentially, if we want to say it simply, we're turning that muscle off. We're fatiguing it. We're same thing. If you were to go exercise that muscle a lot, you would fatigue it. Um, so then it wouldn't be able to fire as much, or it wouldn't be readily available to use as much. So we're fatiguing that muscle. We're making it tired essentially so that we are putting the responsibility of muscles onto other muscles. So I you probably don't, could have said be, have been said better. <laughs> oh well, I think I understand. Okay. So you're kind of wearing it out, so another muscle's taking that load. Mm-hmm. Okay, why would we? Why would? Why is that important? Yeah, so we have some muscles that we overly utilize, um, and they take the brunt of the responsibility for certain movements that we do. Well, over time, that's going to lead to issues in that muscle that's being overworked Um, and our muscles are all connected to our joints so it's going to affect how how the joints function as well we want to obviously be taking care of our joints um, and balancing that load out a little better and um which is good because you don't want to if you're overusing one 
you know, you're with underusing another, another one. And it's like, so um, why is it good for me to use all of the muscles? Like, yeah. why would that be bad if I'm well, walking on one foot? Balance is always a good thing. Oh, I agree. I, I just... <laughs> I wonder if there's just a scientific answer to that. Mm -hmm. Well, for that, I would say balance just leads to better function. We want to make sure that there's equal usage, equal tone, equal strength to balance out. Um, Because while one muscle is being worked, the other is relaxed um, and vice versa. So one kind of thing, I don't know if this is a good example, that um, I think if someone is bedridden, mm-hmm. I've heard that they, you know, that they get, and I don't know, I'm a podcast guy, so I'm not a scientist, but yeah. or a doctor, but that, you know, but I watch TV. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, we have to move them around. They need to be moved. Is that a, like, how, how would that apply to what we're talking about right now? That someone who's kind of not moving, they still need to have their muscles mm-hmm. moved. Yeah. So that's a great... Uh, example of the concept of use it or lose it sort of thing. So same thing when you asked, why do we want to make sure the muscles are balanced? We, if we're underutilizing one muscle, then those muscles are never getting activated. Those muscle fibers are never getting activated and utilized. So it can lead to more atrophy of the muscle, weakness of the muscle, and lead to problems down the road. Got it. So sorry, we went down to a little bit of a muscle <laughs> rabbit hole. I kind of That's forgot okay. we were talking about dry needling. They are part of the musculoskeletal system. And yes. That's what we treat with dry needling. So. Excellent. And do you know, um, you touched on this just a little bit, like how did somebody figure out, hey, if we put this needle in somebody, that makes this muscle do this? Or like, do you know the origins? Yeah, of that's this? a great question. And I don't know. I know that dry needling was developed under the Western medicine uh, umbrella. And I'm assuming coming then from, well, not assuming, but coming then from the history of acupuncture and the strong, strong history of that. So they're related, but different. They're related, but different. Yes. Yep. Acupuncture was certainly first. (laughs) Right. Um, So how how are you able and I don't think there's many chiropractors here at North Lakes that use this I think there's you and maybe one other yep myself and Dr. Adam in Lakewood okay well how did you get interested in it so I've always been surrounded by athletics I was always very uh, very involved in athletics growing up and wanted to always perform well always be healthy those are important things for for athletes and I want to continue to be able to now provide great care for not only the athletic population who wants to focus on performance and staying healthy and being able to to play, uh, but just if we can help people and have a high if we can help people have a higher quality of life in their everyday life, that makes a huge difference in someone's life. And um, how so? How does it interact with your chiropractic practice? I, I don't. Is it, does it mean like you, you're doing chiropractic care or dry needling, or is it all kind of, you put it all together and make one nice package? So again, it's a very much so on an individualized basis. A lot of my patients, I utilize both the chiropractic adjustments as well as dry needling. 
it's just an would you say it's just another kind of tool in your toolbox? It is absolutely. Mm-hmm. And when you um, bring it up with people, I, I'm going to guess that some people are like, "You're going to do what?" <laughs> I, I, I have do, gotten that reaction. How do how do you kind of introduce it, or what what are people skeptical about mm-hmm. about it? Yeah, so. Some people, some patients that I treat with dry needling have had experience with acupuncture in the past or have even had dry needling performed by another provider. And they, of course, are a lot more familiar with um, with what that treatment is going to be like. Someone who's brand new has not had any experience with acupuncture or dry needling. We certainly take a few appointments to talk about it. And I always introduce dry needling as an option if I, as I get to know that patient and their individual case, uh, if I think that dry needling would be helpful, I, of course, bring the topic up, um, not in any sort of pushy way, but just as a, hey, this is another service or another tool that we can utilize in your treatment plan. I think it would be beneficial for X, Y, and Z. Um, talk about what the treatment process would look like. And if they are on board to do it, then we go ahead and we try that and see how they respond. If they're like, eh, needles aren't aren't my thing, then that's okay too. We have, like you said, other tools in our toolbox to use. But for the right person, it might be the right thing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And... Um I just that just like I wish I could be a fly on the wall when you're having that conversation. Yeah. I, I mean, you must get a variety of reactions. I do. Most people have though been very, very open to it, and people are coming to us in pain or for some variety of symptoms that they want gone. Um, so a lot of people are very open to trying any th- sort of treatment that's going to help. And they know you and trust you, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Why, why wouldn't they give it yep. a try? No, you trust you like you, and right. yeah, we're good to go. And um, how does that first session go? Like, I get like I don't know why I thought of this, but I've never gotten a tattoo. But I think I just like Me either. Well, but I but I'm always curious of like what's that feel like? Yeah. Um. So when you're introducing dry needling, how do you make somebody feel comfortable? Like, here I go. I mean, is is it Mm-hmm. How, how do you like, yeah, how do you kind of like set the tone? Yeah, so I explain first and foremost what we're going to do, what the treatment is going to be like. Um, you know, you're going to be laying in this position or sitting in this position. Uh, these are the areas that we're looking to insert needles into. You're going to feel that initial prick of the needle when it pierces the skin. You're also going to feel the needle as it's being inserted. So, general rule anytime the needle is moving is when patients can feel the needle. If it's just sitting there, once we have it inserted and I leave it, don't touch it, then they don't feel it. Hmm. So I like to explain that to them. You'll feel that initial prick. You'll feel as I'm inserting it, then I won't move it at all. And then you shouldn't feel anything. Um, That first appointment for dry needling, I just let, I get all the needles in place and I just let them sit. So we can do different manipulations of the needles while they're inserted, whether it's a pistoning technique or winding or fanning, different uh, technique terminology. Mm -hmm. Uh, But 
for the first appointment, I just let them sit and we see how things respond. So I don't want to do too much right away because uh, not everyone responds well to dry needling. Most a majority do, um, but we want to I like to give that first appointment to just have a very generalized understanding of what is the treatment process going to be like and is this something that I feel better after that I feel was of benefit to me. If they come back after their first appointment and they say, yeah, I think that it helped, then we'll look to do more sessions. Hmm. And the, I lo- <clears throat> excuse me, I like those descriptions. I think I know what they mean, but it was pistonine mm-hmm. and winding. Yep. And I'm I'm doing these motions with my yeah, finger. You got it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, you could probably you could yeah, probably do the yeah. dry needling. Come for the podcast, stay for the dry needling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't think anyone would want <laughs> Thank you for the comment. Yeah. <laughs> um Oh, uh, you got me to snort. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I guess you did kind of answer this, but it's, um, it's not like a, where I'd say a shot where I'm getting a, you know, a tetanus shot, like in and out, like you place the needle, it's left in for a little Mm -hmm. bit. Most times. Yes. Unless we're working in a joint space, then it would be insert the needle into that joint space, likely utilizing that piston technique. And then that needle comes out. We discard that one. We might do a few needles like that in the joint space, but each one goes in and comes out. So when you say discard, I have so many questions. I'm just going to jump all over the place here. But one of them is, um, so you don't reuse these? You don't like have a set of needles like these are Claire's needles? Nope. They're like a a disposable, like a tongue depressor or a syringe? Yep. So it's a single use. So sanitized single use needle. So we don't use the same needle twice between patients, you know, different patients, that would be very concerning. Uh, But we also don't use the same needle twice with the same patient. You know, I don't insert it in one spot, take it out, insert it in a new spot. It's single use. It goes in as soon as it comes out, it goes into a sharps container. Hmm, Okay. And um, how far are you inserting it or can it go in or does it, do you go deep or I guess it depends on a lot of things. It all depends. Yep. So, main thing when determining length of needle first and foremost it's based on safety so there are some areas that if we were to needle and go too deep that you know you could hit the lungs or a kidney or you know there are obvious structures that we don't want to be sticking a needle into so first and foremost we look at safety for when picking the needle length we then look at body region or the structures so are we looking to hit a superficial muscle that's right on the surface where we maybe don't need as long of a needle or are we looking to hit a deeper structure where we would need a longer needle because we're going through a couple other muscle layers to get to that needle. Then third would be patient size. So if there is a smaller patient who doesn't have a lot for muscle mass, we would certainly look at using a shorter needle than if I were to be needling a 250 pound person who has quite a bit more muscle and body mass. And, um, God, so many. Like I want to. Like after this, I want to come and see the needles. <laughs> we can go downstairs okay, and all right, take a look at them. All right. Them. Okay, that sounds good. And so, what what's actually what what is happening? So the needle enters the muscle mm-hmm. in your pist- 
pistoning it yep. or to, what winding winding. Yep. winding. So what what's going on? Like what's it doing? So in it, for a simple explanation of that, it that would be simple's perfect. For yeah. This. <laughs> okay. So a simple explanation is we're sticking those needles into the tissue and we are creating a micro trauma or a tiny lesion, but the body responds to that trauma, that micro trauma as it would any other trauma. So we're stimulating the healing process. We're causing vasodilation. We're bringing, uh, which is caused by a pathway of hormones that are stimulated. We're also drawing blood to that area that's going to stimulate the healing process. Are there moments when you are performing this that you do a move, insert a needle, and you can feel the muscle react? Like, you know, like, yep. yeah, so I got we can it. Get, we can get what's called a localized twitch response. Um, and that is typically... You can get it just on the insertion of the needle, but it's more common when you're using the pistoning technique to initiate a localized twitch response. Uh, that's thought to result in a greater outcome of results, but it's not needed for the dry needling session or therapy to be effective. What would be effective? Like just uh, like what is so what would be some of those long term effects? So typically right after the session, we see an increased range of motion uh, and can even have increased strength in that muscle. Um, also decreased pain. And again, going back to different techniques with manipulating the needles or how long we ha let the needles sit in the tissues can affect if we have um, you know, a greater decreased pain sensation outcome. Okay. Um, and when you're talking about size of needles, here's one of the questions I wrote. I'll just kind of read it because I, I do children um, receive dry needling? They can. So a common guideline is to not really look at needling anyone under the age of 12 uh, because most times they're going to be more afraid of that treatment then they are then it would be beneficial um, so we of course don't want to be traumatizing any of our patients um, that would certainly not be good um, but yeah i would say kind of around that 12 years of age we could look at utilizing dry needling more and is there a, um, so there, like the, the question I wrote, and I don't know why I went this way. Is there like a kid size needle? Um, <laughs> and, and what this so came from, I guess, is like. kid size, right. um, but you would use, a sh depending again on safety, region, and patient size, you would look to determine the length of the needle, but they do have needles that are kind of designed for children where they have a round flat patch that lays on the skin and then the needle is inserted in the middle of that patch so if we want to get a little sciency that surface level stimulation on the skin travels quicker to the brain than that needle being inserted deeper so that patch that lays flat on their skin kind of tricks 
the brain a little bit to, hey, pay attention to me on the surface of the skin, not on this needle being inserted. Hmm. Oh, more tricks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and do people, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, do people typically lay down? Are they sitting down? Are they standing? Or again, depends on what you're trying to do. So, yep. Yeah, so main factor in determining what position the patient is going to be in when we're dry needling them is what structures are we going to be needling? So are they laying on their side? So oftentimes we would have them laying. So are they laying on their back? Are they laying on their stomach? Are they laying on their side? So depends. Depends. Yes, yep. right. Got depends. it. So there's not a straight, you're always laying down. It's always like, laying down. Yep. And so, so typically patients right after they'll experience the range of motion and increase of range of motion that I touched on before, they can also feel some soreness. So I like to tell people as an example, if I were to needle your calf, it's going to feel like you just did a hundred or 200 calf raises like that muscle soreness, because we did get into those tissues and uh, F- fatigue it and f- yeah, fatigue it. There you go. Yeah. So we, so you can feel some soreness in the area that should go away with later in the day, within a day or so. Um, there can be some bleeding at the insertion site, just a little spot of blood when the needle is removed. If, if that happens, we'll just take a little cotton ball, uh, wipe that up and that, uh, and dispose of that. Um, just a little droplet of blood. You could have bruising at the insertion site as well, which again is something that will go away. Just nothing major, but can happen with some patients. Um, and then the importance of having patients being the importance of having patients lay down during their treatment is some people have what's called a vasovagal response, and our vagus nerve is responsible for. Some of the vessels, um, vasoconstriction, vasodilation, how much blood is going to an area or not, um, and stimulating that vagus nerve. We can stimulate that nerve with this dry needling, or if someone is already very in a lot of pain, if someone is in a lot of pain or their nervous system is already very heightened, we're lowering the threshold. Um, and so they can more easily have that vasovagal response, which could lead to someone feeling lightheaded, even potentially nauseous or as if they're going to faint. So that's the importance of having them laying down so that if they were to start feeling any of those symptoms, we don't have to worry about someone falling off of a chair or... Sure. So you're kind of thinking down the road a little Mm -hmm. bit, like we're going to take care of you Mm -hmm. through and through. Yep. Um, So so I always let patients know beforehand that those are possibilities. um, And to certainly, if they start to feel any of those symptoms, let me know during the treatment. We'll remove the needles, give them a little bit of time to catch their bearings again. And it's not, not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that dry needling is not a good treatment option for you. It's just something that that can happen with some patients. It's a side effect. Mm-hmm. And is it kind of a one treatment and done or people will come often or? It depends what what's going on symptomatically, what's going on, you know, in the rest of the body is, um, you know, so some people, if it's a more acute issue, we likely are going to see them a few times to dry needle. 
um, some people do just want to come in and try it once and see how how things go. Maybe they got great relief and they want to see how long that relief lasts. Um, but typically we would see someone more than once. But I suppose if you're like me, I'm a kind of an office worker that I sit down a lot. And so I'm sitting down all the time. Mm -hmm. I might want to come in a couple few times a year to mm -hmm. kind of yep. get uh, tuned up. Mm -hmm. um, and with the needles, are there... Um, do and do you ever have to get special needles because someone might be allergic to what you're using? Yeah, so actually one contraindication to using dry needling would be a metal allergy. They do make certain needles that are gold-plated, so if you do have that, um, that allergy or sensitivity, we can use some fancy needles on you that are that are gold plated right nice um and they are called needles is there another mm -hmm. term like there's no like special not that i know secret of. term that you doctors use no okay all right it's Straight just needles. needles okay good um are there common places that um needles are inserted again it's going to be on an individualized basis there are common points or areas to hit for um, like similar symptoms you know if um, if someone comes in with tennis elbow we're going to be looking at hitting some of those same structures as someone else who comes in with with tennis elbow so we treat at the localized or we treat at the local level so if someone is having elbow pain or knee pain we're going to treat that area itself but we're also going to look above and below the treatment area um, as a way to have a bigger effect or a more broad effect because those joints or that area of symptoms can be affected above and below from the tissues above and below as well. Got it. But like if somebody's coming in for... So the same person, different people would have similar insertion points if their knee was in trouble, but like not everybody. Depending getting... on, I mean, we could go on a whole sure, okay, all right. a whole laundry I list don't... of things wrong with the knee. But yeah, if they're coming in for a similar, a similar problem, we would have um, maybe some of the same areas right around the knee, and then we would look at similar muscle groups, but it's probably going to be different spots in those muscles that are being that are being needled. Got it. But not every single person that you dry needle is going to get a needle in point X. You no. know, you don't always. OK, no. All right. What are some common ailments that you're able to help with dry needling? So really anything that involves the musculoskeletal system. So we can utilize dry needling with muscle strains, ligament sprains, um, injuries to the joints. We can do general generalized pain. We can attack chronic pain with it, plantar fasciitis if there's... Um, osteoarthritis in a knee. Um, so there's a very broad spectrum of symptoms or conditions that we can treat with dry needling. So in dry needling, we're addressing the musculoskeletal system. So we can insert needles into really anything that relates to that. So into the muscles, into their tendons, into ligaments, into joint spaces. Um, um, 
So is there anyone who should not receive dry needling? Is receive the right word? Is that the good yeah. way to put it? Okay, yeah. good. All right. Is there anyone who should not receive dry needling? There are a list of contraindications to utilizing dry needling. You had touched on one before, which was a metal allergy. We certainly wouldn't want to be introducing that to, to the body. Um, other things would be cancerous tissue. We don't want to be dry needling cancerous tissue, um, pregnant patients. If someone is, is pregnant, then they are out for the time being on, on dry needling. Why is, I, I mean, I can think of obvious answers, but why, why, why not? So for more in acupuncture, um, I don't know if you've ever seen there's a spot on the hand, on the foot, and on the ear that are all associated with... So there's a spot on the hand that's associated with every other place in the body, and same with the foot and the ear. Hmm. Um, and so there are areas then that are linked to you know reproductive organs and that, um, and without the knowledge of those, uh, needling those, if you didn't for sure know that you were avoiding those areas can lead to either spontaneous abortion, which we certainly don't want, as well as triggering labor, which again, if it's not the right time, that's not the right time for that. Sounds so. like a good reason to wait. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yep. So pregnancy, uh, any systemic diseases um, or immunocompromising diseases, we want to stay away from um, um, any systemic conditions or like blood cancers, like leukemia, things like that. If um, And we, of course, we will go through a detailed history before anyone were to be dry needled. Um, so we, we would find any of any of those contraindications or, or, you know, precautions as well. Things like di diabetic patients, uh, dry needling can alter how blood glucose is metabolized. So uh, that's a precaution. Dry needling is a precaution with, with diabetic patients. Um, as well as if we were to have, you know, bloodborne pathogens and other things like that. And there's a list of them, but that's off the top of my head what I can Sure, right but now. like there's definitely some you, and that's why you do the screening to make sure you don't, um, um, it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You want it to be a good thing. Yeah. And so um, anything else about, you know, afterwards, you know, sessions over, mm -hmm. what someone can expect. You kind of touched on a little bit of like um, maybe some soreness and bruising. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Yeah. So after we like to ask the patient, you know, do you feel better, same, worse? Some instantly say, yes, there's less pain there um, or the tissues feel looser. So we touched on that increased range of motion can have some soreness that should go away, um, you know, later into the day. Then typically I like to tell patients that, especially if this is their first time being dry needled, again, I like to explain the treatment itself, but then typically you're going to know within 24 hours of if dry needling is going to be of benefit to you or not. You'll be able to say, yes, I feel better this knee feels better, um, or so on. Um, 
One thing then with that increased range of motion, we want to make sure that patients are stretching after. So we gained that increased range of motion. We want to utilize it and incorporate it into our everyday range of motion. So I always tell patients, make sure that you stretch after, potentially do some exercises to then engage those muscles, certainly increase your water intake. We want to make sure that we're staying hydrated and that's important after a giant needling session and one other thing that i like to touch on with patients is so we did create little tiny holes in the skin so we don't want to put lotion or sunscreen or certainly not biofreeze that wouldn't feel very good or icy hot tiger balm anything like that so there are little holes in the skin from where we inserted and removed the needle so for that next day we don't want to introduce any of those potential irritants to those areas that we needled got it um be careful with hot peppers Mm -hmm. yeah Um, someone who's doing dry needling Mm -hmm. they need to do their own kind of work afterwards Mm -hmm. like sure you've kind of gotten things you know rolling again maybe gotten that muscle in a better spot but it's not like a one and done kind of thing your patient should expect to like do a little homework exactly yeah so we do our best to utilize dry needling as a way to remove some of that dysfunction but if nothing changes after that then that dysfunction can can return again. Um, so if we worked to loosen up a tight muscle and we still want to stretch um, to continue to have that range of motion, um, if we worked on activating a muscle, we'll go back to the glutes. I like the glutes. Um, if we utilize dry needling as a way to activate the glutes, we then want to perform exercises to then be able to readily utilize and activate the glutes ourselves um, so that we don't are we're not relying on dry needling we can use dry needling as a way to activate those muscles and turn those muscles on and kind of give us that um, jump start you know yeah a little jump start to being able to activate those muscles but ultimately then we need to continue to use them Claire, what about if someone has just recently be, been injured? I don't know, like a broken bone or something like that. Is dry needling, can you use it for that? Or I don't know, when when in that kind of situation, would it be good or bad? Yeah, so we would stay away from fractures. But if someone had, say, a pulled muscle or an ankle sprain um, or an acute injury to the back where it's a new symptoms, we can utilize dry needling as, again, a, a booster in the healing process because again we are we're creating those micro traumas the the body is responding to those micro traumas the same way that it would trauma to any extent so we're stimulating the healing process bringing more blood to that area getting things going so dry needling is a great way to kickstart and enhance the healing process for acute injuries or you know muscle strains things like that uh, but it can also be used in with chronic issues as well because we can instead of boosting the healing process that's already starting with acute injuries we can help restart the the healing process with chronic injuries so with some people we see that we have made progress with their chronic pain and then they just kind of plateau out and they're not getting any better so we can utilize dry needling as a way to introduce those traumas and restart the healing process wow yeah so it's it's 
really neat to see how many different situation, situations dry needling can, can come into play and be helpful with. Do you love this work? I do. Yeah. I bet. It's just got to be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, what kind of licensing did you need to get, if any, to practice mm-hmm. dry needling? Yeah, the state has certain courses um, provided through these um, accredited entities that are accepted in the state, and it's different per per state um, in terms of dry needling and who can perform dry needling and how much education do you need and things like that. Um, But so I took mine through, uh, I took my course through an entity that was uh, okayed by the state of Wisconsin. So, mm-hmm. and um, and it ties in, um, you know, insurance and Medicaid way that it's not any different than your chiropractic practice. It's just another, as we said earlier, tool in your toolbox. It's not a special designation or anything. So it is. It is billed differently. There. Um, it gets built specifically for dry needling as with any of our, so it kind of falls more under modality. So our adjustments are adjustments and then any sort of modality that we use, whether it's dry needling, electrical muscle stimulation, traction, those fall under modalities and they each kind of have their own billing. Um, and so it's different with every, every insurance company the best option would be to call your specific insurance provider and ask them what what do they cover and what do they not hey do you, if i went to get dry needled would that be covered but it's not a real outlier like you just named a few other things that mm-hmm. are similar so it's not like its own mm-hmm. special yeah and uh, it is it, becoming more popular for for some insurance companies to cover dry needling mm-hmm. <laughs> well Claire, this has been great, and I'm going to try your last name again. I'm sorry. Here I go. Tomashek. Tomashek. <laughs> Tomashek. I'm sorry, Claire. Pardon oh, it's me. Okay. Claire, um, I've got one last question for you. Um, what's in your car right now? I believe I have my paddleboard and a hammock in there. Perfect. <laughs> Nobody yet has ever said spare tire. I'm sure it's in there. (laughs) Got it. Uh, Tomashik. Tomashik, yep. Uh, Claire Tomashik, thank you so much for speaking with me and being on the North Lakes podcast. Uh, I really learned a lot and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm glad you asked me to do this. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. Bye. I've said it once, but I'm going to say it again. I'm so lucky to be the one having these conversations on the North Lakes podcast. I feel like I learned so much and I hope that you feel the same way. Thank you, Claire Tomashik, for sharing so much. It was wonderful to talk to you. Claire is a chiropractor at our Park Falls Clinic, one of the several North Lakes clinics that offer chiropractic services. Go to our website nlccwi.org to see which location is closest to you and then give us a call. We would love to hear from you. The North Lakes podcast is produced by North Lakes Community Clinic, a community health center with locations throughout the north part of Wisconsin. Our mission is to respond to the healthcare needs of our communities with an integrated array of quality services and actively remove barriers to wellness. 
My name is Jeremy Oswald and I am a marketing and communication specialist at North Lakes. Please share a review for us wherever you are listening. It helps other people find the show and that is a good thing. We will have another episode next month. See you then and thank you for listening.